Hello everybody, welcome back to this week's edition of Terrace Talk. Norwich City facing Stoke City at Carrow Road on Saturday. A game which feels rather large for the Canaries and we'll get into just uh, uh, why that is in a moment. Delighted to be joined by Mr Stuart Hodge. Hodgie the Hack as he is known in, in these quarters. His first appearance on the Pinkin for a while. It's uh, good to have you on Hodgie, how are you? Ah, it's good to be drafted back into the squad, mate. It's been a wee while. Uh, but no, good, good to speak to you as well, mate. It's been, it's just an incessant football season, isn't it? It seems like it's never stopping. Yeah, you know you know that um, David Mitchell sketch where it's just football. It's, it feels like that. <laughs> More bloody football. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is, which is what it feels like. Uh, also delighted to be joined uh, by Ben Rowley of the YYY Files uh, podcast, Stoke City fan as well. Um, ben, thank you very much for joining us. How, how are you doing at the moment? Yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but obviously, Hodgie, you're in you're in Scotland, but we've had quite a lot of snow in Norfolk, so I don't know if that's it's uh, the same here, mate. It's the same here, and uh, interestingly, Ben, you might you might be interested in this. I did my um, university degree at Staffordshire University in Stoke. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I, I know the area well, and I know that mm. it's blooming freezing at this time of year. So yeah, I can imagine down at the ground too, <laughs> I, mate. That is the coldest football ground in Britain. <sighs> Like literally, like Boothin End, especially, just absolutely freezing. It's genuinely really, really horrible. That's that's the one thing at the moment I don't miss about going down. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I don't actually live in Stoke anymore. I go back for the football and, and other reasons. But uh, it's it, we are, we've had a light coating here, but it's 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 just a minus seven degrees outside. I can't cope with to be honest. I made the erroneous decision to shave my head, and like now, now I'm now I'm totally regretting it. I had this big like wild man of Borneo look going, and that was good for the weather. And now, like I've got none of that insulation, so better yeah. nightmare. You, you see, I'm I'm going the other way. I'm trying to see how basically how long I can grow mine because I've never really grown it long. So I'm going to see how long it can go before the hairdresser's open. That's um, that's basically what I'm doing at the moment. I hope mine's, it won't too much mine's down to my nose, basically. Decent. <laughs> Mine's uh, mine's struggling. Anyway, we digress. Um, Hodgie, let's let's start with you. Let's start talking about Norwich. Uh, obviously, defeat last week to Swansea. Some of the the images that I'll flash up on your screen of Norwich players and and Daniel Farker looking very reflective, very downbeat, very um, gloomy. Perhaps it's it's now three games without a win for the Canaries. There, there, there's been quite a lot of what Stuart Webber would define as noise on social media in, in, in sort of this week, especially as Brentford has kind of leapfrogged Norwich City at the top of the championship table. I guess the first question really is, is can you see why people are so concerned at the moment, given Norwich City's recent result? Partly yes, partly no. So a um, bit of context here. I obviously work, one of my jobs is as a commentator, and I commentated on Brentford's game against Borough, where they absolutely thumped them 4-1 at the Riverside. Now, I know home advantage is a bit less of a thing in the COVID era, but commentating in that game, it was pretty clear that the same Borough team that had totally neutralised Norwich's main threat, and particularly down the wings, I noticed that Borough were, were really able to clamp the threat that we had in those areas. That same team... Uh, although Borough did come out with a slightly more attacking formation with Neskins Cabano and the team and stuff like that, Balassi, Brentford absolutely destroyed them. So I was very much of the opinion that Norwich could well be in a title fight this year and like probably favourites at one point, especially when we had that period, lots of injuries and kept grinding out results. Now the squad's looking a bit fuller and suddenly the goals have dried up and it's just... It's, it's looking a bit concerning, and especially looking at the Swansea game in particular, it was the level of finishing 
that we got when we actually did create something, the finishing, there just seemed to be no confidence, conviction or anything like that about it. So I can see why the Norwich City Twitter sphere and, and fan social media channels are getting a bit concerned. It's justifiable because at, at championship level, we're so used to the team scoring goals. However, I know for a fact that those inside sort of the club you've mentioned, Stuart Webber, I think they're just blocking it out because they know it's peaks and troughs. It's a long season. It's a particularly, this season's under a particular microscope because obviously the late start due to COVID, everything's even more sort of jammed in together. So this is a season that's different from any other in that regard. Brentford will stutter and as will the other sort of promotion favourites. There will be times that they sort of drop points. But Norwich City can't afford to keep going down this road where we lack confidence and aren't creating anything really of note and and troubling teams with shots on target. I think we do look more solid at the back than we've looked in a long time. Tim Crow's error and stuff aside, still need to work on defending set pieces a bit. But I think the base is there to to definitely finish top two. But for me, based on what I've seen from Brentford and Norwich in recent weeks, it's Brentford's to lose now. Yeah, I would be uh, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I'll actually read you a stat um, which uh, which you may enjoy and, and kind of highlights, I think, Norwich City's um, lack of confidence in what you've been saying there in front of goal. Since um, since Jordan Hugill's goal against Bristol City, Brentford have scored 19 goals. Now, bear in mind that Brentford have played five games and Norwich have played three, so that's not not quite a a, a, a balance, I guess, in, in that regard. But it's, it's some stat and it really does highlight perhaps how much they're missing other contributors beyond Timu Puki, I suppose, because that goal short that goal sort of scoring burden needs to be shared around. I think it was um Darren Huckabee on Twitter who said he he wants to see a bit more responsibility from the attacking players. Would you Absolutely. agree with that sort of statement? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think the other thing is Timu Puki, his movement's still good, but he's just looking just not quite as sharp as he has done at this level in previous times, whether that's down to fatigue or whatever, you, you, you don't know. But he's, he's just not looking at his absolute best and nobody else seems to be chipping in consistently as a goal threat. The other really damning stat uh, is the the Amy Buendia one, the, the fact that we've won only one game in the championship during his whole time at the club where he's not been playing. And that, for me, is, is a massive concern because that shows just how much reliance there is on him as a as a creative outlet in the team. And there's enough there's enough quality in this Norwich City squad to be playing better than we are. So that's that's the thing that I'm saying. For me now the it's with Daniel Farka, who's done really well throughout this season, especially when the team's been up against injury wise, to find solutions to problems. We've also built, I think, a stronger base at the back than we've had during his tenure at the club. I think we're as strong with that central defensive pairing of Hanley and Gibson as we have been. So now it's about all of the stuff around that. And yeah, I can see why people are worried. But the one thing I will say, and not to anger Ben here, I think the fixture list is a bit about to get a bit kinder to Norwich City. So I'm hoping that that's going to lead to an upturn in results. But we badly need a goal. We, we, we really need that one goal to go in and then hopefully it'll be like the collective burdens lifted a wee bit and players can can play with a bit more freedom. Because I think that, again, coming back to the finishing against Swansea, they were getting blasted wide and over the bar and like the, the pookie chance that he had. And it's just like everyone's got that kind of anxiety you get when you've not scored a goal for a while. Once one goes in, whether it comes off someone's bum or whatever, then it's just going to be a case of hopefully that the team will start playing with that freedom again. And and we know they've got the talent. So it's just a case of being able to showcase that.
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree. I think they're looking a little bit like a side that it's somewhere in their subconscious and now beginning to think about the fact they haven't uh, they haven't scored a goal. Um, ben, talk to me a little bit about, about Stoke and, and their season. Uh, I think Michael O'Neill was asked about it today that Norwich have only scored three more goals than Stoke and, and yet are in the top two. How, how do you feel about your season and, and how it's gone? Obviously, nine, you're in ninth place at the moment, six points off the off the playoffs. What's the general feeling amongst Stoke fans at the moment? Because it feels like you're you're in transition a little bit. Perhaps it's get me wrong. Last season and the season before was not good enough from a Stoke City point of view, particularly last season where we nearly got relegated. That that would have been absolutely criminal. And then Michael O'Neill, Michael O'Neill's come in and has done an incredible job to not only keep us up but to turn around as two playoff contenders within. A year. I think that's fantastic. Um, if you'd have asked me how the season was going, perhaps in November, I'd have said as well as we could have hoped for. You know, we were in or in and around the top six. Uh, we were in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, which, which again, we've we've not got that far in the cup since I want to say 2016. So, really, really good start to the season. Um, bleeding in lots of young players as well. Harry Suter, Nathan Collins. Uh, Tyrese Campbell up front, who I will come on to because since his injury in about November time, I think maybe late October, Stoke have fell on their backside pretty much. Um, we, <laughs> you guys think you can't score goals? We we just cannot <laughs> score to save our lives at the moment. It we just lost any spark at all. Um, We've got players like Jacob Brown who come in in the summer, and don't be wrong, he's he's a good young player and he's a winger that will get better. But we've been playing him up front through parts of December on his own, and it's a big job to ask somebody like that. Nick Powell, similarly, uh, possibly our best player, um, yeah. has has been left up front on his own. That's not where he belongs, really. Even though he's made the best of it, scored a couple of headed goals here and there. Um, Stephen Fletcher's been out through injury as well at times, and that's not ideal at all. Um, Rabbi Matondo's come in and not hit the ground running. Uh, Jack Clark's been all right starting on the wing, but there's no end product there yet from him, apart from winning a penalty. Hey, uh, there's loads of excuses that I could throw at you, but to be honest, don't don't score goals. And we have a good defensive record, a, a, a very good defensive record. Um but at the moment, that's not outweighed by our just massive drought in front of goal. And the the feeling is, if somebody scores, we're not getting back in the game. Um, it's been that way for years. But it it might not be as bad as it was. But it we 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 just can't score. I I wonder whether part of it as well is the midfield is somewhat new in a sense that Joe Allen's been injured since March and he come back in recently. Um, John Ava McCall was injured through parts of October and November. I think he's come back in to the team. Sam Klukas injured as well. All three of those have started since together and they they haven't gelled and there's no creativity there. Um, Nick Powell's possibly the only one that can do that. Um, I don't know whether O'Neill feel like he has to play these players because in some people's eyes, they're Premier League quality players. Um, maybe not to us at the moment, admittedly. Um, whatever it is, we similarly need a goal to go in off someone's backside or someone's head without knowing it. Because um, 
we 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 don't scare teams. I think that's that's what's really disappointing at the moment. You, you referenced him there, but Tyrese Campbell. I kind of want to speak about him a little bit more. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he he was one of the best players in the championship when he when he found a form at the start of the season. Certainly in terms of quality, he plays in almost. Uh, a Mo Salah-like role, didn't he? Where he, where he drift inside and, and certainly in terms of goal contributions was was up there at the early part of the season. How much has his injury derailed um, Stokes' playoff ambitions, I guess? I mean, six points is, is not a massive gap, so it's not it's not the end of the world, but it, it certainly feels like it's, it's stuttered maybe a little bit at the moment. And this is what's strange about Stoke recently. Like, we've had, I want to say, one win in 11 or 12. And yet we're in the same position as we were when we started that run there or thereabouts. It's it's quite remarkable how the league has been this season. Again, you mentioned unprecedented in loads of different ways, but it's it's very strange from a Stoke point of view because we're not doing badly on paper. But like I say, one win in 12, plenty of draws in there, not a lot of losses, but it seems like a sticking plaster. And Tyrese Campbell when we lost him again we lost all creative spark um not only would he score goals he'd get assists too he scared the life out of defenders he'd drag them out of position he'd hold the ball up wonderfully um and he was playing on the wing which isn't his preferred position either he was working well with Stephen Fletcher Nick Powell was actually playing on the other wing didn't bother him because Tyrese Campbell was able to provide that athleticism that perhaps he doesn't he reminded us, I, I don't know how often you played against him in the Premier League when you were there, Mark Ranautovic, when we had him. That's that's how I see Tyrese Campbell now, maybe not in terms of quality yet, but that sort of style, certainly an Ranautovic reborn almost. And since then, we've not got somebody to replace him in, in that sense, um, which is worrying when a 20-year-old, 21-year-old now, is the one that gets us all our goals and makes us exciting. And we can't get that from the amount of talent. You know, Sam Vokes was a Premier League player not so long ago. He he he, he looks like a sack of bricks up front. You know, he's, he's nicknamed the fridge amongst Stoke fans because whenever he jumps, he gets shorter and he can't seem to score a goal for Toffee at the moment. And it's, it's a real, real shame. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. I know we tried in the summer to uh, in the summer in the winter to replace him with the likes of uh, I said Ravi Matondo um Jack Clark we signed Alfie Doughty as well although he's a long-term injury it's really disappointing uh, and I'll reiterate the fact that we've got somebody so young and only with a year's championship experience a year of first team experience and he's the one that we rely on and we're losing him at the moment it's a massive shame Sometimes what you find, and I've kind of seen this um, when I've watched Stoke this season, I've commentated in a few of their games, is that when you have that reliance on a single individual, then the rest of the team ups their level when that individual is there. And then what happens is when you take that individual out of the mix, the rest of the team look a bit lost and a bit at sea. And it's similar to the Emmy Buendia situation. The only thing that I would say is Norwich City do have other good attacking players. Yeah. Whereas I think you're right. The balance of the Stoke squad is such that there's a lot of sort of workman-like. That's maybe a bit sort of harsh in terms of a description, but but midfielders who are there to do a job in inverted mm. commas rather than be the creative spark that you need, you know? And then on, in terms of the wider areas, maybe players that are more athletic 
than than sort of outright technical and creative. And that's the difference for me uh, when I look at Stoke and Norwich, as with Stoke, to be honest, you kind of expect that with the sum of the parts and the pieces that they've got. Whereas when I look at Norwich City, I'm thinking we we should have the ability in the championship at least to be able to create more chances than we are or create better chances than we are and then eventually hopefully take some of them. And yeah, I, I think I think it's interesting the parallels just in, in where both teams are at at the moment, even though they're in different kind of sort of bits of the pyramid in terms of where they want to be at this particular point. There's definite parallels in the fact that both teams seem quite reliant on sort of certain individuals for their style of play to work effectively, and that both teams seem pretty solid but lacking a wee bit of ingenuity up front. So I think that's quite an intriguing sort of narrative going into this this clash at the weekend. Hmm. Oh, I was, I, was, I was actually going to ask you about Emmy Buendia, because obviously, um, unlike Tyrese Campbell, he, he is back and available for, for this game. In terms of Norwich City's attacking woes, Hodgie, it's, it's not going to be as simple as, for, for reasons you've just outlined there, dropping Emmy Buendia back in and then suddenly they, they find that they've, uh, they've got the, a wonderful bit of fluent clockwork that produces all these, all these opportunities. It's, it's simply not going to happen like that as as much as some Norwich City fans may expect or may want it to. Yeah, that's very true. I think another thing to... The one thing that gives me a lot of hope is one of the big things that Amy Buendia brings to Norwich's team is he wins possession high up the pitch. And I think if you do that against a Stoke City team, that's a good way to hurt them because Stoke are quite good when they're able to set their solid base and say, right, break us down. And they're, they're, they've got big, strong lads at the back plenty of of athleticism in terms of their midfield in a defensive sense so that's that's where Stoke are good if you can win the ball high up against them then players are immediately on the back foot and that's when you can hurt them and that's where I'm hopeful that Norwich City can end this goal drought and and do it hopefully maybe with two or three because I think when it'll be I think it'll be the same for both teams actually when one comes you might get two or three at once even if not in that game the next game you'll see them there'll just be that bit more confidence and it'll be a bit less kind of lost at sea sort of vibe and I'm not saying it's quite that with Norwich City yet but it does feel at the moment like we need something. And I don't think you can just pin it all on Emi Buendia. I mean, if he comes back, then again, it's another one of those games where it's like, oh, Emi's back, so we're winning again. But it's it's not as simple as that, as you say, Connor. There is more to it. And from a coaching point of view, we've got a really good coaching team. What they need to do is they need to try and engineer ways that we can get into these spaces and create these chances without that reliance on the individual. And I don't, I think it's a weird one where it looks like it's really reliant on Emmy with the stats. But if you kind of dig a bit deeper into it, then sometimes you can sort of look at it and say, well, it's kind of cause and effect, you know? Like partly, partly he's the cause of it getting better, but it's also like an effect of him being there. Does that make sense or am I talking nonsense? No, no, it, it, it definitely does. And, and I, I think a really sort of undisputed or undiscussed bit of, of the Middlesbrough game a couple of weeks ago was how noticeable it was that they were cutting off Ben Gibson, for example, and how positive he's been with breaking the lines and, and those passes into creators like Emi Buendia yep. or Skip as well with, with progressive passes at times. Kenny McLean, um, I saw a, a nice graphic on social media today of, of him and, and and how reliable he's been in, in terms of that front. So that there are different there are different elements to it and it's, um, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how Norwich remedy that. Um, Hodgie, just just very quickly before uh, we we come back to Ben and and speak about Stoke, um, just 
give us your sort of reflections on that Swansea game. I, I didn't feel there was a lot in it. It was probably kind of um, probably shows where Norwich City are at the moment. Maybe a little bit of, of confidence lacking. Two really probably individual mistakes. Although Connor Hurahan's strike was excellent, and he's he's now I think the the second highest scorer of, of any professional player playing currently uh, behind Luis Suarez against Norwich. So um, even though he can't spell his first name right, which I'm going to persist with, you know, he's, he's, he's not a bad player <laughs> at this level. Well, how, how do you reflect on that game last last Friday night? Conor Hurahan just seems to have what it takes against Norwich. The season that I was the club commentator, we went to Oakwell and he absolutely bossed it against Norwich. And every time I see him, he, he has a good game. Um, so a, a couple of things there. Firstly, in terms of the way that the midfield was structured, I thought Swansea had their central balance perfect. You had Grimes, who was the screener, and the guy playing just in front of the defence. Jay Fulton was the legs going in between, and then Hurahan as the sort of main creative outlet. Then when you look in the wide areas, you had Connor Roberts and Jake Bidwell doing their bit out in, in, in the sort of in the wide areas. Plenty of industry, plenty of endeavour there. Um, and not a little creativity, it has to be said. Then in terms of the back line, I thought they had such a solid back line, and that's what made it hard to break down. It's why they're the best defensive team in the division, and it's what could take them up in one of the automatic promotion places because they do have enough going forward. But other reflections, I have mentioned uh, the finishing from Norwich City, which was, was really, really poor. I also thought there was a complete lack of cohesion in terms of the stuff that we're usually good at, knitting it together in the midfield. Kenny McLean's played really well in the number 10 role at times this season. I thought his passing was really, really poor at times against Swansea and took the impetus out of the attacks. If you look at the opening goal, it came from a throw-in, which we failed to defend, and then Max Ahrens makes a brilliant block to prevent a goal, and it goes out for a corner, and then obviously you have the error from the corner kick, which leads to the opener. So again, I mean, it feels like a Norwich City fan, like it's Groundhog Day, you see it, but like, let's defend set pieces a bit better. been saying that for like, ever since I became a Norwich fan. Um, and the, th the third thing for me, when I reflect on it, is just the fact that they failed to lift themselves for a big game. Because I thought, right, it's all well and good playing against Middlesbrough, playing against Millwall, struggling, that kind of thing. It's like teams that are designed and sort of a bit like Stoke, actually, where it's like, we're going to frustrate you. It's, it's going to be a bit of an annoying watch. Don't expect this to be fireworks and loads of goals kind of thing. And what I thought was, yeah, right, OK, this is Swansea. This is a big time team. This is a massive game. To use the cliche, a proper six pointer. I thought they were going to lift it. And I don't think they did. I think, if anything, there seemed to be a bit of nerves almost. And one last thing I would point out is the wide areas. What's happened to Norwich City's threat in the wide areas? Because particularly I'm talking from fullbacks overlapping because Max Ahrens, not to, I mean, he's a young player. He's a brilliant young player. I mean, Barcelona were sniffing around. So like that, that's testament to the ability he's got. Um, well, reportedly anyway. Uh, but if you look at, his last sort of three or four games, I think it's as unproductive a spell he's had going forward for Norwich City, definitely at championship level, as I can remember. And that is a thing for me. Not, it's hard because you don't want to place the burden of expectation on young players, but the point is they've delivered for us like before and for quite a while. So I, I think at some point you've kind of got to go, right, we expect this of you. And I think of Max Ahrens, we need to expect a bit more of him and of plenty of the, the candidates round about him um, and the team. But 
that my main reflections on Swansea were a lack of finishing, a lack of cohesion, and a lack of any great threat. And the failure to lift it for a big game was what concerned me the most because that says to me that we're gonna we're gonna have a fight to finish top two. And I was quite blase about it earlier in the season where I thought we were gonna sail our way to the title. Now I think we'll be scrambling for second. That said, I know that people inside the club are nowhere near as worried as me and other sort of fans and commentators are about things. So I don't I don't think anyone will be getting carried away. I think there'll be level heads all round. And I think Norwich City will bounce back into form. And not to annoy you, Ben, but hopefully that starts at Stoke uh, or against Stoke this weekend. Mm, absolutely. It's, it's interesting what you say on Max Aaron's. Uh, I know the feeling, certainly before Christmas inside the club, was that they wanted to see a bit more productivity uh, from him in, in an attacking sense. And I would certainly uh, agree. I don't think his, his levels have quite been um, perhaps where we where we used to be. And maybe he's, he's kind of a victim of his own success in, in that regard, because as you say, only just turned 21, which... Uh, yes, crazy. I think, yeah. Um, ben, just just on Stoke, I was watching Michael O'Neill's press conference before we uh, before we started recording today, and uh, lots of complimentary words about Norwich, as you may expect. But he, there was a, an interesting quote from him about how maybe it was unrealistic for Stoke fans to think that in a year they could go from a side looking like they were they were probably going to get relegated to a side that is capable of challenging for promotion in in the Championship. First and foremost, is 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 that kind of a fair assessment? Is that how you see it as a Stoke fan? And equally, just talk us through a little bit about the job that he's done since he um, since he became manager of Stoke last year. Yeah, I I think I touched on it before. He he's he's saved us from League One. There's there's absolutely no denying that at all. And and we are indebted to to him and maybe him alone to some extent. Um, he's the one who, when he came in put everyone in their correct positions and it sounds so daft and I, and I, and I cringe every time, but just not playing James McLean at left back, um, not playing Tom Ince at Cam, it, it just, just playing players in the right positions, giving them the confidence to say, you're good players. You don't need a fancy plan. You don't need a diamond formation. Go out and win a football game. And they did that on plenty of occasions because of him. Um, he's the one who, Tyrese Campbell was about to leave Stoke. He was in the last... I want to say six months of his contract. Um, Rangers and Celtic were sniffed around. So was Southampton, I think. Um, and and he could have quite easily gone. O'Neill was the one who, under Nathan Jones or Gary Rowett or or anyone before him, Paul Lambert, he wasn't playing at Stoke. O'Neill came in and said, you're better than this. You deserve to play. I don't care how uh, young you are. I don't care how people say you might only be able to last 60 minutes. You're going to play every game because you're good enough. And look at him now, one of the better players in the league, as you said. <sighs> at the start of this season, I didn't expect playoffs at all. I expected mid-table, perhaps top half. I, I would have liked to have seen a, a playoff push as an ambition. I think I predicted before the season, I think uh, I'd like us to finish sixth. I expect us to finish seventh. And it looks like we're going to be doing similar. Um Having said that, we had a great start to the season. Really, really good start to the season in the playoffs. As I say, league going well as well. And what's disappointing hearing that is that, yeah, it might have been unrealistic at the start of the season, but we've crashed. We've crashed pretty hard to be only winning one in 12, one in 11, and still to be six points off playoffs. 
that's a massive opportunity that we of a club have missed there. And he can't deny that. Um, Michael O'Neill's done great for Stoke in the year or so that he's been here. Um, I think one of his tactical strengths is that we we don't have an identity. And that's weird for me to say that because I always say that Stoke needed that, you know, grit, determination, not particularly long ball, but direct style of play. No nonsense. Um, and we don't necessarily have that every game. We we do horses for courses. Players get picked depending on who we play against. And I'm assuming that we'll cater towards you. You mentioned you've you got uh, a vulnerability at set pieces. We seem to be quite good at set pieces, so look out for that one. Um, but having said that, his flaws, like any manager after a year at a football club, I know and I'm sure that's the case for everybody, his flaws are beginning to come to the fore. And there's not many of them. But I think something that a lot of managers have been uh, guilty of, playing names like Joe Allen isn't playing very well at the moment. John Over McCall is playing terribly at the moment. They deserve to be dropped from this team. Jordan Cousins, uh, who I wasn't a massive fan of when he signed and neither when he was playing under Nathan Jones. Um, I, I just don't think he was good enough for Stoke blasting. Um, up until a couple of months ago when he was playing when, John, when Over McCall got injured. And he played really well for his ability. You know, he he looked like a Stoke quality player and, and he was playing the best football he'd ever played. Um, he got dropped for Mikel, who's been awful since he's been out. And it's not fair, in my opinion. Um, some of the substitutions have been lacking too. Um, not finding a way to... And admittedly, we, we've had injuries, but not finding a way to score goals. I think what's getting Stoke fans most at the moment is that I think a lot of people are saying, well, it's, it's not good enough that... We're not in the playoffs considering where we were. I agree with him in a sense that we shouldn't be expecting these things. It would be unrealistic to say this is a bad season because we haven't made the playoffs. However, as I say, the position we were in and what I'm more disappointed about is football this season, because we can only watch via a stream and we can't get involved with our regular match day, has become an experience where results and performances are all we have to go on that's your emotional driver in a football game you can't distract yourself in any other way at the moment and our results certainly haven't been good enough at the moment and our performances have just been boring to watch and stoke fans are going to be frustrated because of it and i understand them taking it out on playoff pushes and not scoring goals and performances because of that. They've got nothing to distract them. I think if we were back in the stadiums and enjoying life as we normally would, we wouldn't be half complaining. We would be now. We'd have been saying, it's quite understandable Tyrese Campbell being out. It was a massive blow to our team. You know, we recruited lots. We've recruited three 21-year-old wingers. I didn't expect them to hit the ground running at all. Um, But like I say, it's just disappointing because for a lot of people, and I'm sure that's the case for every football club, Stoke is all that people have. And right now, it's a hard, hard watch. <laughs> Aye. No, do you know, I think that's a really interesting point. Maybe fans' patience, and, and this could translate to the Norwich situation as well, Connor, is a bit lessened at the moment just because it's exacerbated by the fact that the COVID thing and, and you can't get any ground. So obviously that is that is lessening patience. The, the other thing, just on the midfield point you made, Ben, Having watched Stoke myself, I just think Joe Allen and John Obey mikel if you're going to be playing both of them in the same team, they're both ageing, they're both players that do a job that is pretty similar in some ways. So, I mean, you're making a statement about your team's intentions by playing both of them in the same team. See how I was talking about how Swansea had their midfield three? It was like such a nice dovetail where everyone had a little bit of what they were best at. 
that's two players just who are the best at the same thing and gradually getting worse at it because they're getting older. So yeah, I think if I was looking if I was looking at positives, um, I've not had a look at the Stoke team news. Presumably they are both available, and if they both start, then I would say that that's an area where Norwich City can run all over the top of Stoke. Interesting, Ben. How, how do you see um, this week? This weekend going. How, how do you think O'Neill will approach it? It's interesting you said there. Maybe that his, his strength is in his flexibility. We we obviously know from his days at Northern Ireland that perhaps that defensive resilience is is being kind of attributed to him. Maybe possibly even unfairly um, because of of the quality of player he had at his disposal. Do, do you think that's going to be something that he leans upon this weekend? And uh, going to Carrow Road as it isn't an, an easy place to go for anyone, particularly this season. It, are you expecting a, a fairly defensive, pragmatic approach from from Michael O'Neill and, and from Stoke? Yeah, definitely. I, I think we'd be silly not to because we are playing a team who is looking to get promoted automatically. And I think we've, we've got to show that level of respect to some extent. However, we played Reading last time out and albeit our attacking wasn't the most clinical, we were all over them for the majority of the game. And I know that there's a certain way that Reading set up, but there's a there's there's a, a subconscious authority at Stoke is that we can give a game to anybody to some extent. And it's not a sense that we have to respect them because they're top of the league. And I'm sure we'll do that to some extent. But he will he will look at the weaknesses of Norwich. You mentioned set pieces. We'll be playing for those. We'll be getting the ball up, getting the ball yeah. in the box and looking to see whether they clear the ball. I'm sure of that. You mentioned you're, you're uh, very good at pressing from the high line. So are we. Particularly with Tyrese Campbell, uh, he, he was excellent at the forward press. But even without him, um, we've been doing very well at pressing from the front. Um, so I expect us to continue with that. I also expect us to get rid of the ball pretty quickly, um, which might lead to a more direct style of football. Um, I mentioned people like Clark, um, who who seems to be not particularly pacey player, but 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 certainly a, a, a tricky player. I might be looking to unlock things from the wing. Um, whether we go with Ravi Matondo or James McLean on the left, I'm not sure. It's been McLean in recent weeks just because Matondo's not hit the ground running. However, I would also argue that James McLean hasn't been the same player since he contracted COVID. Um, I, I think his fitness levels just haven't quite been the same and that's quite understandable. Um, how do I see the game going? In a nutshell, if you're a neutral, don't watch this. <laughs> don't watch this game. You've got other things to be doing. You've not got many other things to be doing, but this is not one of them. Go and paint a wall and watch it dry because this is not a game for you. <laughs> that, that bodes well. So Ben, I'm guessing on, on that point, you're, you're predicting a fairly low score in a fair, right? Oh, God. I mean, how many draws have we had? I think we've had eight draws in 11 games. So one, one draw all, all all day long. We'll nick one from some stupid, probably a set piece. And then one will go in off Wendy's backside, probably. Yeah, one, one. <laughs> I'd say you could probably get fairly short odds on that at the minute. Uh, Hodgie, how, how do you see this, this game going? It's obviously, as we've discussed throughout the last 35 minutes or so, a pivotal or feels like a pivotal one for Norwich. I say easier possibly fixture lists on, on the horizon, although all of those teams at the bottom seem to be picking up results at the moment, possibly with the exception of, of Wickham. How how do you see this one panning out from an Irish perspective? Um, see, just before I answer that, can I can I just say that my very first Norwich game was, uh, I, I think it was the Britannia then, and it was Johnny Housen's Norwich City debut. And oh. the first 
The first thing that Johnny Housen did was pass the ball straight out of play. And then he went on to become uh, a player who's uh, the pleasure of commentating on loads of his goals, one of them um, four years ago today, um, which was a stunning volley against Nottingham Forest, which the club have been sharing. Good on you, club media. Can I ask you what year that was? Uh, 2011, was it? Oh, hang on a minute, because... 2012, actually. I don't know if you can see this. You probably can't. I'm just out of shot. There's a team sheet on my wall just up there. I can see it just yet. And it and it's actually a Stoke City versus Norwich team sheet. And is it, is it early 2013, like January 2013? I think that was 20, September 2013. That one was. So right. I, I don't think that that was the game you're talking about, but I do remember that game as being one of the worst we've ever seen and i think van bolsenkel scored yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um collectors items exactly um, uh what i would say um just in terms of to get back to your point corner sorry before i went that, <laughs> sorry that's my fault <laughs> I, I just wanted to get a, i just wanted to get a mention in from my favorite norwich city player and the fact the very first thing he did um <laughs> as a norwich city player was pass it straight out of play so what that does is that shows you things can get better Regardless of how bad the situation is at any point, at any football club, things can get better. I think a lot of it will depend on the opening 20 minutes, half an hour of the game. I think if it becomes one of those games where it's still nil-nil at that point, chances are at a premium, then yeah, it could go very much the way Ben said, or even nil-nil, maybe one team scrapes a one-nil, whatever. But if one of the teams gets a goal quite early on, that changes the complexion of the game completely, and then it could hopefully be a half decent watch for one, and two, a game with like a few goals in it. And I'm going to be an optimist and say that Norwich City are going to win two one, but have the bulk of the chances probably score should score more than two, but will win by two goals to one, and um, probably concede from a set piece. Uh, and that—that's I do see. I do see us winning the game. Uh, and if we don't, then I think it's probably more appropriate for alarm bells to start ringing because, especially if we do it without scoring. If we go another game without scoring, then it's a proper, proper goal drought. Um, but I also expect Tim Crew to have a big game because I think he is the kind of player that usually responds really well from a setback. So I think that's going to be going to be a big factor. Yeah, I think Norwich City will win the game and we've won loads of games 2-1 this season, so why not another one? Perfect. Thank you very much, gents. Really, uh, really enjoyed that 40 minutes or so of chat. Of course, Pinkin.com, the place to go for all your Norwich City news and views. We'll be at Carrow Road on uh, Saturday as well for the game uh, to bring you full coverage of that. So it should be um, a, a very interesting one. And um, Ben's teed it up nicely uh, in terms of uh, in terms of saying uh, watching a paint dry. So that means we're guaranteed a 4-4 thriller now. So uh, I look forward to that. Cheers, Ben, for, for christening it that way. Um, we'll, we'll leave all the relevant links to the guys uh, down below in, in, the, in the description. And uh, yeah, that's just about us done for uh, for this week. Thank you very much for watching. Stay safe. I hope you're uh, you're keeping well during these very difficult times. And we will all be back at Carrow Road, hopefully very, very soon. Thank you for watching. See you soon.